Welcome to the Pandora Podcast, where fellowship-trained pain specialists Dr. Melissa Cady and Dr. Kevin Cucaro reveal the secrets of pain care, including harmful practices, healthy tips, and the hope found through the science of pain. Please note, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute a physician-patient relationship. Please discuss your medical issues with your personal health professional. For more information and free resources, visit Pandora.com. Now on to the show. Welcome back to the Pandora podcast. I am Dr. Katie, and I'm here joined by Dr. Kevin. And we are going to just start jumping into this idea of talking about things that are um, not just pain related, but also related to um, challenges in life. And uh, of course, today it might be a little more pain directed um, with a, a little bit of a slant on just talking about research. but. Uh, Dr. Kevin brought up an interesting article. If you want to tap into that, I'm not sure what the date is or when that came out, but do you mind jumping into something we wanted to discuss? Yeah, no problem. So um, this is from the December 3rd, 2019 JAMA article. And it's an opinion piece, uh, piece by John Ioannidis at Stanford. And it is on neglecting major health problems and broadcasting minor uncertain issues in lifestyle science. And uh, what I particularly like about this is, is we spend so much time arguing about minutia on what's important and neglecting like the big things. And, and, and I think that's probably a theme for a lot of things that we do in life, um, but particularly for health, right? There's all this stuff. And he was basically saying how many, you know, research articles had been published in 2019. And then they did the Zillow algorithm thing and they found out which ones got the most press. And um, the ones that tended to get the most press were the ones that were sort of about ridiculous nonsense, such as, does drinking coffee have a health benefit? Well, if it does, it's super minor. And if it doesn't, it's not a big deal unless you're drinking 62 cups of coffee a day. And rather than that, maybe we should be focusing on the major levers because you're going to, there's like little little levers and big levers and you can mess around with little levers all you want and they're not going to get you much change or or benefit or you can focus on the one two or three big levers and have major impact on what your life and health is and it is it's just remarkable like and you can look at this in different ways so um all the stuff with apps and phones and these little devices and tracking this and tracking this and you know rings that are supposed to measure your your, your perfect, perfect sleep, but somehow a ring on your finger is going to be able to measure your, your, your sleep better than a sleep study does, and then tell you whether or not you're sleeping well. I mean, it's just like, I, I can see why we want to get fascinated by it, but it is like, Estelle, why don't you just focus on a good bed routine? You know, instead of spending $200 on, on, on a magic ring that there's no data on, why don't you spend $50 on a, uh, you know, good sleep, a good pillow and devise a, a consistent bedtime routine so that you're sleeping consistently. Right. No, it's interesting. Um, I think probably the, I think about little apps or, or things on my phone that kind of remind me of things that I don't feel like the, the biggest needle movers of things, but um, if it's going to be utilized, I find it as just a, I enjoy it or I just, I'm, you know, it's just a geek on it versus like really, you know, believing that that's going to be changing my life for me. Um, so I, I, I think that it's all in the context probably of how it's presented too. if people are, are so fixated on it and, 
overanalyzing it and not looking at the big picture. I think I, I definitely agree. Um, I'm definitely an, an Apple Watch user, so um, it, it is surprising <laughs> and I don't work for them. Um, but, but there's something about, I can tell when I'm holding, if I'm holding my breath or I'm in a stressful moment, it's telling me to breathe and I'm like, okay, well, yeah, I kind of knew that. And it's just a reminder that I need to slow down and take a breath. So, you know, I think, I think it, it can play a role, but it's not like the, the biggest mover in, in changing our life. And obviously that article is not just about pain. It's, it's dealing with a lot of different um, lifestyle things. Are there certain things that they were talking about? Uh, so major, major drivers of health. There's only like four or five really. Um, I, I break it down into, you have to move, you have to eat, you have to, you know, move consistently, eat real food, avoid toxins. Um, and then stress is, is, is the other big one. And in this particular article, and what I liked about this is he goes, these are, you know, uncondensed, incontrovertible kind of things rather than arguing whether or not a ketogenic diet is more appropriate than a Mediterranean diet or whatever, instead of focusing on eat real food not too much of it, like Michael Pollan would say. Um, but the biggest ones, the biggest ones for health, if you're looking at the United States, the, the biggest is don't smoke. Or if you do smoke, quit. Um, the second one was exercise. And that comes down to increasing movement and consistency of movement. Then it was, um, two of them, he said, don't eat too much and do not become obese. I really, that's just focusing on don't eating, you know, don't eat too much and becoming obese is, really about obesity primarily. And then the last one is don't drink alcohol in excess or the don't drink alcohol in excess and sleep well. Mm -hmm. So what you're really looking at is, and we kind of talked about this before we got on, is avoiding excess. Mm -hmm. So don't eat too much, don't drink too much, don't do drugs, don't smoke. I mean, and those are toxins to your body and focus on your sleep. And, and that's like 80, per, 80 plus percent of health Right. And instead of focusing on, you know, again, some, some silly, like, oh, I have to drink this particular coffee or I have to put, you know, extra cream in my coffee or no cream in my coffee or, or whether one drink or two drinks is better for you per day, rather than recognizing that really, if it comes down to it, just don't drink. And that's going to be better for you than anything. Um, it's, it's just, it always just blows my mind on that. Now you did touch upon things like some of the gizmos and gadgets and there's a time and place for it. The more you can, you can gamify good health information. And we, instead of, you know, because we, we have this addictiveness with cell phones and the, and they know it, it's like all these social media apps and the games, they know how to make things as habit forming as possible. But the more you can use those gadgets to, to identify and create an, a consistent, good, healthy habit, like say, if your watch is pinging you and you're holding your breath or whatever, or if it's just reminding you to get up and move, hey, you know, you've been sitting for an hour or so, maybe we'll give you a little cow prod and get you just to move yeah. around for 10 minutes. Um, that makes a lot of sense. But uh, you just don't see that in the news quite as much. You don't see this in these published articles. Or, and this even goes to all the magic bullet therapies when, when we're talking about pain. They get these, you know, one article on two people by a, by a medical device company that has $50 million in venture capital money behind it. And then it's going to say, Oh, this new magic bullet is it. We, we think that, um, 
you know, whatever, we're going to, we're going to stick this thing. And, you know, you're talking about the, was the renovate or whatever, where we're going to stimulate these, these, these back muscles and with using a device that's going to cost you $50,000 rather than a superficial tens device will cost you five bucks, do the same damn thing. Uh, you know. Yeah, it's, um, it, I think this all comes down to um, a lot of, a lot of particular concepts and it is that the flashy things get the attention of people. It gets them thinking that this is the next thing without conceptually understanding how pain works. And so they, it's hard for people to recognize what that flashy thing, what is it that it's doing? First of all, I usually don't understand that and no offense, but many people don't, they just go and try to find the thing that might give them, you know, relief. The um, fix. The fix, right. And, and so the flashy things get the attention. And if you have a lot of money behind the advertising to draw even more attention, then you are in a population that's vulnerable to that kind of marketing. Um, and the things that seem so boring, like all the things you just listed off on that article, means that people have to address all the different habits and lifestyle things that have basically are their ways of adapting to life and stress itself. And that's extremely uncomfortable and it requires change. Humans don't like change. <laughs> And so all those things that are very relevant, it's not really appealing and it takes a lot of work and, and not just on one day, it requires work over time and a commitment to that. And, and the problem is that people won't believe it until they experience it, which requires the, the dedication and the commitment <laughs> to even get to the point that you recognize that you can change. I mean, just look at people that um, people are, um, just, I, I find fascinating. I come from a family of thin people and obese people and um, the lifestyles lead to those issues. Um, and so it's always interesting how um, people who have found ways, suddenly they lose weight, they change their life and they're still the same person, but they finally decided enough's enough or they made a change or whatever it was. And then they they have these significant differences between their before and after. And somehow that's, that creates more belief in the process and some sense of, of just hope for someone who's struggling when you, you have a harder time giving much attention to the people that have been doing those habits their whole life and could have been obese, but because it doesn't exist, <laughs> it's harder to like really believe and identify with those people. Um, I know we're kind of going on a tangent, but that's, you know, the basis for all these little things that really can make a difference in your life. It's hard for people to really believe them or want to put the effort into them. Um, you know, it's easier sometimes to just have someone do something to you for that supposed fix because it's easier to believe that's the new thing. Well, that, that comes down to like a lot about beliefs and beliefs restructuring, right? So there's a couple of different beliefs that have to come with any shift to occur. And the first one is that you have to believe that change is possible, right? And a lot of people believe that, oh, change is possible. But the next thing is that change is possible for me, which is what you were identifying. And it is much easier to believe that change is possible for you when you have seen somebody who is like you successfully do that change, right? And then the last belief that you have to counter is that I can do it, that change is possible for me. 
Now that oftentimes is the hardest one to, to get to. Actually, I'm not even going to say that's the hardest one. The first one is really being able to recognize that change is possible, period. I would say for pain. Um, but each one of those is a step, right? And so those, whatever we, you know, we say or who says, when it, particularly when it comes to pain, um, having somebody else who's gone through that process and have them saying it carries a vast greater weight uh, because it's, that's them, right? They can easily see themselves in them. And it's the same way if you're a healthcare provider as being able to have people in the public that are, that are supporting your message because we're not them, you know, as the doctor, we're typically not in the them category. We're in a different, in a, in a different group. And so what we say could make a difference but it's not as powerful as somebody who is them, their peer, their family member, their friend, or whoever who's done that. I mean, you can think about it just in, in, in kind of regular persuasive roles is, you know, there's a new restaurant, it looks all great and it has the ads and you're like, hmm, that looks kind of interesting. But what's more powerful, seeing that or then having one of your friends tell you, I went there and I ate it and it was amazing and it was the best meal ever. Mm -hmm. That's a peer. Right. And it's a, it, particularly if it's somebody that you trust and, and, and you're like, well, they're like me and they had this amazing experience. Then I'm more likely to have this amazing experience. So I do it. Now, restaurants are obviously easier than pain or health or anything else. But it's very, you know, it's very similar in that in that way is that having somebody close to you who you identify with go through that change successfully is way more believable than anything else. Right. And that kind of just brings full circle the psychology of like the psychology behind how you are, not that people want to think that they're being persuaded, but they are, uh, whether it's from a surgeon who has a lot of confidence that is convinced that the thing that they have, and, and there's times where there's a, there's a time and a place for surgery, but there are times when surgery is sold in a way that both parties think that this is appropriate, um, and even if it's not, and then there's the the idea of just even having things published that apparently being published makes it hundred percent, you know, something to believe when, you know, first of all, we don't know everything. And that's the whole reason research exists is because we're trying to understand things better. Um, and like you said in that article, I mean, a lot of the stuff that's out there is it, they're, they're trying to split hairs into multiple things when there's not, it's not necessarily going to be the, the thing that, really is the um, the thing that really moves a needle for a lot of people's lives. And, um, but yeah, what's interesting, some people, because they hear it from on high, <laughs> that these, this white ivory, you know, this white ivory tower that has all these people in these positions that say that this is what, you know, you should be focusing on for, you know, pain relief or for improving your life, that there's not a lot of research into the research. And so it's easier for people to take it at face value. Um, well, I, that, and that, well, that comes back to, and probably a lot of people listening to this don't know who uh, John Ioannidis is, but he's published multiple studies based on what gets published and how much of what we do in medicine is nonsense um, that isn't supported, that expert guidelines are are expert, but what are those expert guidelines are usually flawed opinions in a lot of ways. And so there's why there's so many retractions, which gets another wing on the news cycle is they'll publish this, you know, publish something new and people say, you know, drink a cup of coffee a day, it's going to keep you from ever getting Alzheimer's. And then five or 10 years ago, or 10 years from now, when an article sends out, oop, that was wrong, and they have to retract it, that gets no press. 
but the right. damage has already been done. Right. And, and, um, and, and so it just, it, well, there's multiple different points for this. First of all, I am not one to ever say that you don't trust the research um, because research at least pro provides us some sort of bedrock and it's better than opinion, but you have to be able to examine the research critically in such a way. And that means questioning your own belief systems as well as whoever else is involved in this. And people don't do that, right? People tend to, to clutch. There's a lot of theories right now in pain that people are clinging to with their tight little grips and refusing to believe. And they have two research studies and they're saying, see, the research shows, the research shows this works. Um, but for, you know, then you have to, well, is that research duplicated? No, it hasn't been duplicated. Is that research built on a flawed uh, or a misconception? Which a lot of it is. So much research, it, it, the research is only good as the inputs that are put in there. And if your inputs are flawed from the get-go because the foundation isn't right, mm -hmm. then your downstream effects are all gonna be, all gonna be flawed. And, you know, that, and I think that's, I think a lot of that, particularly when we're looking at pain, that happens a lot. Because if you're, if you're moving into a research study with a flawed understanding of pain, it's going to affect everything downstream. And we've seen that mm -hmm. because um, there was actually a piece. This was a, I think it was a system, systematic, systematic review that Mosley had done five, 10, probably five, five or six, seven years ago. And it's, you know, it had to do with, with what people had, how they had applied things like cognitive behavioral therapies and things like that. And it really is somewhere in the last 40 plus years, because the psychologists used to be ahead of the curve and they're not anymore. But this idea, when you understand pain is a constructed process that can change, if you, if you understand that, then everything downstream changes. But if you come in with pain as this thing that can't change and can only be managed now, mm -hmm. everything that comes after that initial hypothesis mm -hmm. is going to be flawed. And, right. and, and he, he was using an argument of, why are the outcomes with cognitive behavioral therapies not very good? And it's, well, if you go in there process with where you're actually supposed to be modulating someone's brain and change thought patterns and things like that, but you're telling them that their pain can't change, then what do you think is going to happen in the end? Right. You're going to have, you're, 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 you're just, yeah. So it's, I don't know where it was going with that other than no, the fact that we need research, but we need to be critical about the research. Right. And that's hard for, I mean, even for some of us physicians to really get into the nitty gritty of some of that. And we can generally speaking, see how things are laid out, but for the general public, I think it's hard. Um, and, and that's, that's the struggle I think is that, you know, there are people willing to do certain things that are not really proven um, or don't have the best data to support that they're really effective uh, long-term. Oh, I got a great one there. I got, yeah. I got to interrupt. That's the stem cells and the PRP injections that are like the gold. That's the new gold rush in the pain world. Yeah. And it's based on ridiculousness and garbage and they're hurting people. There was just, I just saw, um, uh, there was like, I don't know, five or six cases now in like Iowa where, where people have these reactions or infections because of the crap that they're getting injected with, with like no data other than what the company is supplying saying that this stuff works, but it's a cash-based process. You know, when people are paying two, three, four, five, six thousand dollars for these injections, um, they have no reason, <laughs> they really don't have any reason to, to think critically about this stuff when you're, when you're raking in the money like this and it feels good. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I had a friend ask me about what I thought about stem cells and 
PRP and all this stuff. And, um, you know, I, I first have to stop and I kind of chuckle because I'm, I'm sitting here trying to emphasize to people how incredibly ingenious your body is and how they're just harvesting, cultivating the genius of the body already and mixing it up and returning it in a different pattern or different concentration into another location. And it's basically saying, this is such an awesome part of the body that, you know, or just the body's so awesome, it creates a stuff that we can't replicate ourselves. And let's just put it back in and see what it does. I mean, it's <laughs> when you think about it, it's like, okay, well, maybe it's not quite as invasive and concerning as like an anterior posterior back fusion that's not necessary. Okay, I might buy that. But I feel like it's still a gamble on whether or not, whether you believe it or not, or if it has have an impact, there's not enough data to support, say, this is, I feel like it's another fat, like the low T clinics, like, okay, yeah, hormones are important, but not everyone needs to go get testosterone. Not everyone needs to go smoke pot just because it's legal. Like, people need to think about what they're doing and, and be selective. And, you know, if someone wants to go pay cash and they just think, well, it might just affect the nociceptive input or something, I, you know, I'm not going to tell them what to do. But I think that to sell it as a panacea or panacea um, for any pain out there, that, that's just that's just as as faulty as a lot of these other things that are a big fad yeah well and i would i i used to think what if people just paid for it you know that's okay but the the fact of the matter is um and to actually be informed enough to know where you're putting that money is mm -hmm. extraordinarily difficult and then for me it's like if you actually know what you need to know before the injection you would never have mm -hmm. the injection done to begin with right and so right. And, and so it's, ne it's never informed, right? This is that, that's the big joke within medicine is this whole idea of informed decision-making. And it's like, uh, most of the time you can't have a truly informed decision because you don't, you're not aware of all the variables involved. And um, it's, it's, you know, that's, it's so important that you have practitioners, and yeah, I'm totally going off that, but still, that oh, okay. the practitioners understand what the hell they're doing because they have such a profound responsibility given on their, the, the limited amount of information that other people have. And everybody's, oh, I Googled it and I got 42 pages and I know this better than the doctors. And I'm like, there's certain scenarios that might be right, but there's most of the scenarios I'd say you're not because when you go to medical school, what you're really doing is you are learning a new language, one that uses the same words of English, but it is a, it's completely different connotation. I, if you don't have that medical background and you think you're reading a research study and you're fully understanding it with absolutely no background, um, I, I don't think that's going to happen unless you have maybe 15, 20 years that you've been doing it and you've been working with somebody to tell you what it actually means because we use words in different ways. Yeah. And, you know, and it's, 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 I don't know, it's just an, it's, it's an awesome responsibility on the physician part, but on the other part, if you have an inherent trust and you understand, like you were saying, that the body is an amazing thing, it yeah. is unbelievable what its resiliency is. Mm -hmm. Most of it is irrelevant. It's just focus on those few big levers that you can do and everything else will relatively take care of itself. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I had an experience today with a, uh, 
patient before um, a surgery, um, corset back pain, <laughs> imagine that, um, uh, concern, which, oh, uh, which was fascinating to hear a surgeon say, oh yeah, I did his A-lift and it obviously didn't get all of the pain. Um, so you just scrape out the pain, right? They just you know, oh, they no, pull so it out. We go do an SI fusion, you know. Of course, that's the, that's, we, the, that's the other one. Oh, so it just, I, I paid a lot of close attention to kind of what they're doing and I'm looking at, they are tick, the, the rep is technically saying that they, they have to go in and they have to scrape out the cartilage in between the sacrum and the ilium, which is the hip. And they have to kind of grind that out, suck it out. And then they have to put the, the bone matrix stuff and they put two screws. And to me, my belief in most cases um, is when there's no trauma involved, like no major trauma of major displacement where <laughs> you, they're not even connected, um, my belief from science that I've read and whatnot is that our body enjoys a variety of movement and, and a little bit of movement even in the joints is okay if it's not too, uh, too much. But to me to think to fuse something that has just a little give even if it barely moves doesn't make there's a lot a, of sense to me. Well, there's a reason that has a little give. Mm, yeah. that, that's, that's the thing that just there's a reason that joint is like that. And if you're going to think that your, your procedure is, you know, this is just acid. There's a, the, the reason this, the, you know, the, the sacroiliac joint moves like that is because it provides it's, it's a stress release valve. Mm -hmm. And now you're going to take that away because you think you know better than your body does. Yeah. Is, I mean, it's, it's like, um, I should go back. Cause I, I want to make sure I'm, this is actually true, but I got the impression that you know in the 50s and 60s when the breast formula was coming out onto the market everybody was telling mothers well you should use formula because that breast milk isn't very good because <laughs> i think i was fed formula and i'm sure my mom heard something about this stuff being yeah. like and it's like and then no 20 years later after the you know these new companies sold their formula actually there's a reason breast milk is like the perfect thing for a baby yeah and it's been, you know, honed over millennia to make the, the, the perfect infant formula. Yeah. And yet we, because we can't sell it or package it, or we make up this new device, we're going to, you know, like the SI joint, we're going to say, well, oh, there's too much movement in there. Bullsh. Uh -huh. It's meant to do that. That's the reason it's there. Yeah. Well, you know, to, to, to kind of end on uh, this little conversation today, uh, this particular patient um, was, had been on opioids for like eight years and, um, and like eight doses a day. And, and, and I told him straight up, I said, I'm not here to judge you being on opioids. I said, but the reality is that there are side effects. And the point was he had three different medications related to the side effects of the opioids and these weird neuropathies and this like increased in sensitivity to pain and uh, severe GI constipation um, and it, a lot of problems, gastroparesis, slowing of the stomach. And they asked, well, could this neuropathy be related? I'm like, I would bring up this conversation with your primary care physicians, whoever's prescribing this. I said, and if they don't understand what opioid induced hyperalgesia is, then you should get a second opinion. I say this from someone who's, uh, you know, someone who's boarded in pain and 
understands this stuff. And, and what was fascinating that there was two things. The thought that, that maybe these symptoms were related because I can't explain it with all those opioids going on, the fact I kind of reassured them that that is a possibility, I can't say, but the reality is you don't know till you come off of it. That was one thing. The other thing was this patient was trying to tell me that, you know, oh, I can I'll, I'll, I could, I could come off of it. I'm, I've got a tough mind. I said, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's great you have a strong mind. I said, but the reality is what your body is used to. I said, you're created a new pharmacy in your body and everything that you've been taking in, it's used to. And so you got to almost sneak it out of there and be smart about how you do it so that you don't feel miserable because your pain can increase when you go in withdrawal because you don't have your opioids. I said, there's a smart way to do it and a less painful way of doing it. And you just see all these lights going on between the wife and the, I mean, this person is young. Mm -hmm. I mean, and the reality that he could come off of it is just, I mean, just planting that and giving people education, which is why we're here to inspire and empower people and, and just create information that they can use with their physicians, I think is why the Pandora podcast exists because our voices, I feel like we have a lot to say to maybe help some people. Well, and, then there, and there's a lot to say. And then for anybody listening out there, you know, send us your comments, send us your questions, because the other thing is we have questions that we think people may want answered. We have questions that we certainly want, or we have answers we certainly want people to know, uh, but the best answers are for the questions that you have. And so if you have questions, you know, send them in to us. You can Dr. Kevin at straightshothealth.com or what's, what's your email? Doctor at challengedoctor.com. Doctor at? Dr at challengedoctor.com. You spell out challenge doctor. I've that's, got all kinds of emails, but that one. <laughs> you just go to the challenge doctor website and hit the contact. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, but you know, but but really, the the fact that there's there's some very big levers that you can use to completely change your life when it comes to pain, when it comes to your health, when it comes to overall wellness. Um, they're not mysterious. You don't need to pay $4,000 to have the magic bullet injection. Uh, and, and, but it's out there. And I guess that, that comes, comes as this belief threshold, though, is to understand that, yes, health is not nearly as complicated as people have wanted you to think it is. And when it comes to pain, um, it's challenging. But you can have outcomes that are so much better than what is being currently sold to you. It's, uh, it's just remarkable. Yeah. Well, until next time, uh, the Pandora podcast wants to fill in a whole bunch more information, inspiration, and hope, and we're looking forward to your questions and addressing them in future episodes. Until next time, as Dr. Kevin says, be well or stay well. Stay well, folks. Thank you for joining us today on the Pandora podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know through a five-star rating on iTunes or your current podcast listening service. And be sure to check out the information and resources available at Pandora.com.